The Everything Sequel Podcast is brought to you by Tuity Fitness and the Vegas Beer Guys. The Everything Sequel Podcast contains explicit language. Because we learned it from you, Dad. Welcome to the Everything Sequel Podcast. This is the Terminator edition. We're talking Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Michael Schantz here of the How Dare You Awards. Joining me, your cyborg friend and mine, Tom Stewart of Lonesome Whistle Productions. Say hello, Tom. I need a vacation. (laughs) I need a vacation just from talking just from ranking and declaring these movies yeah i mean that was that was not easy if you go back and listen to it i think you could hear the the fear in my voice of trying to definitively declare where i think these movies stand in relation to each other almost like ted cruz filibustering (laughs) (laughs) trying to trying to pretend that you know he likes Dr. Zeus and things that normal human beings like. Like I said, though, I these movies are strange because as you're watching them, all you can think of is terrible choices they're making and why these <laughs> movies are bad. <laughs> and then when they're done, you think, oh, that wasn't so bad. For the most part, yeah. Yeah. Well, with one notable exception. Yeah, one to two notable exceptions, I agree. <laughs> Get out of here. Your words. One notable exception. <laughs> <laughs> this is the, possibly the only time I wished I edited these episodes. <laughs> Could do a whole thing with you. And Terminator 3. How dare you. All right, ladies and gentlemen, we are talking today about Terminator 2, Judgment Day, a 1991 film directed, of course... Boy, is it. ...by James Cameron. We know James Cameron from Aliens in the Abyss, True Lies, Titanic, 700 different Avatar movies that haven't come out yet. <laughs> I'm with John Oliver on this. Take your time, James. Take your time. <laughs> right? Let me ask you this. Yeah. Not that this has anything to do with Terminators. But when I saw Avatar, the second Rabisi called what they're looking for unobtainium, I thought, I'm fucking out. <laughs> I quit. Terrible. Yeah. Unobtainium. Jesus. I mean he's he's lost the plot quite literally. Um no longer I think a filmmaker, certainly not a screenwriter anymore. Well, um, well we get to talk he's about a, he's that. A, t- a techno he he's a technology wielder. Yeah. And uh this is like I think this is the beginning of the end for that, but in this moment, you know, 
a very specific historical moment where you have like the best of practical effects and the best of digital effects and well not the best of digital effects but the when digital effects are still exciting and innovative yes and we're thinking about it in a lateral way um and we haven't taken you know we haven't taken it for granted that everything's going to be digital correct that this is a this is like a really this is like a very vibrant movie when it comes to to effects but from this point you know i think he took the wrong lesson from this movie which is like we should put way more effort into that into tech you know into creating new technology i mean that's literally why we're waiting on avatar sequels yeah so that and the lessons of the lessons of this movie for me were that you know, sometimes the simplest solution is the best. If right. it's something that's unobtainable to you technologically, there's a way around there's it. There's a way around it. You, you don't need to sit and wait until until you can until invent you the can thing. invent it on a computer. Right. It's it's I got it's I got like, you know what's my overall note for this entire series? Terminator two compared to every other Terminator movie. Use a real helicopter. Yeah, I have some similar I some similar notes that it's it's really interesting because I think the way that the way that cinematic technology has evolved since this movie has sort of stressed the need for a, like a hybrid approach where you take the best of practical, right. the best of digital, and you kind of make them indistinguishable to the viewer. That's the only way it works now. Exactly. That's still that's like still the goal, I think. And it should be, yeah, that should be the goal right now. We, but in 1991, in with this movie, we solved it. Yeah. We absolutely solved it. Like, there are moments in this movie I do not know what is practical and what is digital. Mm-hmm. Except when the movie wants me to know that something's practical because it's a point of pride. Yes. Or because it's digital because it's a point of pride. And that that's like, we've got the solution, guys. Why can't we replicate why can't we do? Why can't we keep doing that? Yeah. And you know there are mom- there's moments where you know there's a lot of there's a lot of effects showmanship and then there's moments where the effects are really small scale but beautifully done. Mm-hmm. And there are there are moments when you you know like there are things they obviously can't do yet and we don't see them but they find a, like a cinematic way of showing or telling us. Like this is this is what filmmaking should be. Should be. Yeah. You work with what you've got. You don't create something so that you can have something to work with. Right. Unless you're James Cameron and you've been, you know, you're building a camera for 20 years. I mean, <laughs> fucking just, just, well, no, I, I but I'm again, but I'm you're, John you're on John Oliver's side. Take I'm on John time. Oliver's side. Take all the time you want. If these movies never come out, I'll culture be fine. will not be affected one iota. Right. Well, let's let's take care of some business. Terminator 2 yeah. Judgment Day, 93% on Rotten Tomatoes, Tom. The That's high nice. watermark for the sequels here. Budget 102 million, an opening weekend of 31.7 in the USA, 205.8 million in the world, 520.8 million dollars. This is impressive considering it's 1991 dollars. Yeah. In addition, this movie won four Academy Awards. 
All the ones you'd think. Sound, sound Arnie. editing, effects, actor, makeup. Right? What? It's got to be Arnie Best Actor, right? <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. <laughs> just, just the awards you would think it would get nominated for, and it won. It's the top gross... I think it's still the top grossing action rated R movie of all time. Oh, and that's interesting too. It's because it... I hadn't even considered that it was an R-rated movie. I mean, on, on the level of, you know, it, the explicit content, it has to be. But the tone of it is very PG. Yeah. In a way that I think is a, a drawback overall. I think it makes it more accessible, though. To who? Idiot children? Right. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> Where's my Terminator? <laughs> well, and that's the other thing. I, I mentioned the thing about the helicopters. The other thing this movie has is the great work of Stan Winston. When you open up and Boy. you see actual Terminators as opposed to digitally created Terminators, it makes a difference. It only, it, I, I'm, I'm kind of depressed that it only struck me so late on in watching this movie that the battle between the Schwarzenegger Terminator and the Robert Patrick uh, Terminator was about the battle of practical versus digital. Mm -hmm. Like, clearly, that's what this... It's like, it's, it's just saying, we're in, this, we're in this transitional moment where we're moving from one kind of effect to another. And literally on screen, you see the two of them fighting it out. Yeah. It's beautiful. Yeah. And it's like it's lit. It is. It's like it's like a you know like a robot wars kind of thing going on because <laughs> it's like Stan Winston gets like a scene where he gets to show this is what I can do with practical, right? And then you know James Cameron's going, this is what we can do with computers, mm -hmm. and it is just like the only winner is the viewer because yeah. you get the you you because they're both trying hard on on different fronts and it, it's presented to you in the movie as a as a as a competition. It's just beautifully done. I can't... I... I have no problem with the movie on that level at all. Okay. Um. I mean, should we get into... Like, do we want to talk about your problems? Do we want to get into the narrative? I, well, I what... think we can do that as we go. All right. I think they'll reveal themselves as we go. So, we talked, I think, in our last episode about one of the things I care about in a Terminator movie is how good is the baddie mm -hmm. and when you start your series with Arnold Schwarzenegger who looks like the physical embodiment of these you know robot exoskeletons underneath yeah and now you're going because he's such a big star you have to turn him into the good guy yeah this this was very again this was very striking upon this viewing to me uh I don't think I'd realized before that not only is this um, post-leading man Arnold Schwarzenegger, mm -hmm. it's post-kindergarten cop Schwarzenegger. Right. So this is not about building him into a family-friendly image. It's about riffing on that pre-existing image. <laughs> exactly. The decision to turn him into a like a sentimental leading man is based on what he's already done in cinema. This movie is not preparing him for that. It's it's uh, helping the audience negotiate 
that change that's already taken place in his star persona. Well, and it's interesting um, because the thing we were just talking about with James Cameron, take all the time you need, that's the thing about this series. I mean, the first movie's 84, so we're seven yeah. years. We're not doing the right. usual three-year wait for, you know, and what he was waiting on was technology. And when he made the right. abyss in 89 and he made the water tentacle, he suddenly realized, I now can do what I want to do for that movie. And he really flaunts that up top in the movie. Like we see, right. you know, we're, we, we see multiple machine men, exploding vehicles, basically a reenactment of the same set piece from the original From the movie, original. But, but now but he's saying, not... look what I can make it look like. Right, exactly, because, you know, and I've not gone back and watched Terminator, I will when this is done, when when we've done this, but I do remember that it's very skillfully done, but lots of basic model shots. And stop right? motion. That's, yeah, exactly. Um, whereas, you know, immediately they're saying, you know, look, uh, like, we're, we're upping the ante of, um, we've gone beyond that now. Well, and when you see of, the, like, the I don't know what they're called, a, but when you see the... Not the drones? what the, the yeah the drones the airplanes of the future yeah. and you compare them to what you were seeing in the nineteen eighty four version exactly you think I think that's wow I think we have crossed a bridge clear. and you know like we in we kind of we have an apo- like we visualize an apocalypse up front just basically to show as we can show us that they can do that. And then later on, we have it again. It's just like a, on a whim as a dream sequence. So it's mm-hmm. it, they're playing with a lot of money and resources here that they didn't have before, and they want right. to put that on screen. Yeah, and that you know that it's in the frame of this kind of like dystopian story. They're able to do that, but kind of reasonably fluidly, right? And but on top of that, what I find very interesting about this movie, you have this original film with Arnold Schwarzenegger as your baddie. You have to turn him into the good guy. And so now... It's an inversion. It's an inversion. And now you have a new bad guy. Yeah. And what's remarkable to me about this movie is you have the same sense of malevolence from the T-1000 that you had in the T-800 in the first movie. And Robert Patrick gives yeah. a fantastic performance it is yeah um it's interesting because it's interesting to me like i was trying to put myself in the place of someone who'd never seen this movie before having watched it so so many times right and i was thinking i was like okay so if you're if you only know the first movie you're going to assume arnie is still the bad guy the voice of like the linda hamilton Mm-hmm. legacy character voiceover tells us there's two ter- there's two terminators like she not only does she catch us up from what happened in the first movie she gives us the exposition for this movie right we just say two terminators are coming one of them's bad one of them's good okay and then cameron leaves this kind of trail of breadcrumbs about which is bad and which is good mm-hmm. and he kind of plays with the viewer for for a little while because he turns him into but- a cop because he turns him into a cop, but also it's really interesting in the scene, uh, in the scene with the hillbillies in the bar, mm-hmm. and I know they're hillbillies because one of them has hillbilly written on their shirt. Right. Cameron leaving nothing to chance when subtlety and nuance is uh, <laughs> is concerned. Um, is that one of your problems? No, 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 no. I don't <laughs> mind that. That's fine. Whatever. 
it's really interesting compared to the this this the equivalent scene in the first movie where he takes on the cyberpunks in the street. Mm-hmm. And the, uh, the Bill Paxton. Yeah, Bill Paxton, of course. Um, he never casts the first stone here. He's always reacting to other people's violence. Right. And that is an immediate tip off that he's going to be the hero of this piece. Mm-hmm. Or that there is a sense now we cannot we cannot uh, let Arnie um, be seen not questioning violence. Like, like either it has to be defensive or there has to be a dialogue about what right. kind of a violence is appropriate. And he, you know, because he, he leaves a bunch of people alive too. Exactly. So that should that kind of tips you off, and then the cop takes you another way, um, and the fact that you know he looks more like uh, Kyle Reese than than a than what we know to be a Terminator. Right. Um, but it's it's kind of interest. But it's interesting how much Arnie is coded as the good guy from the from moment the start. he steps on screen. Yeah. Um. And how sometimes how unnecessarily hard they work to try and put the badass back into him. <laughs> like, he appears with flowers and then he steps on the roses. It's like, okay, I get it. In slow motion. In slow motion. By the way. Um, but, I mean, that idea of, like, sentimentalization, I mean, it's right there from the beginning. The first thing we see is kids in a playground getting blown up. Right. By a nuclear blast. And I'm just like, it's like, okay, so here's your dystopia and we've added kids and mawkishness and melodrama. That's that's what, like what it says to me. I mean, and that's very deliberate. I don't know if I like it, but it's deliberate. It's absolutely deliberate. I think it's effective, too. Because what our main character is, is, a, is an annoying little brat. Mm-hmm. Uh written as an annoying little... Well, I don't know if he's written as an annoying little brat. I don't know if you could write a kid in the early 90s and him not being Kevin from Home Alone. I mean, that's the, like, yeah, the right. archetype, isn't it, at that point? It's like, just co- placeholder dialogue, slang Tourette, early 90s slang Tourette's. You just can't... You. <laughs> it's it's fascinating to me that the most famous... Li- well, one of the most famous lines from this movie, the Asta La Vista Baby, is like... It's a... It's like comes from the kid, from the kid saying something that is like so time locked and yet it's become one of the most timeless pieces of dialogue from these movies sure bizarre well i it's interesting just in speaking in terms of uh the dialogue that we remember because we have i'll be back from the first movie and of course i mean that's schwarzenegger's catchphrase so to come up with a second one yeah, it's kind of impressive. I I don't mind saying. And uh, none of the none of the um, following films can come up with anything but a variation on right on I'll be back or come 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 with me, with me if you want to live. live. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I as much as I like Dark Fate, I think the worst one is in Dark Fate, but we'll get there. It's like, yeah, <laughs> it's just too too specific. Yeah, I, I understand. <laughs> Um, well, the other thing we I get... notice is because we're still, we're just out of the 80s, we're in 91, and the one thing this movie has that, for some reason, movies of today just can't seem to do is it's efficient in its exposition. In 15 minutes, you know everything that's happening and all the major players, yeah. 
and what we're doing. I think that's also, I mean, that's also a convention of the series as well. Like when I think of the Terminator films, I think of exposition on the go. Mm-hmm. Or like usually in a moving vehicle. <laughs> like I think that's built into the formula almost. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I think you're right. I think, you know, it, it, the screenplay craft, that, that, that is gone. I absolutely agree with you. But there is something about these movies where, you know, they, they, um, they don't want to stop while they tell you something. They want to keep it moving. Yeah. Uh, so it feel so even when it is like leaden exposition, it doesn't feel like it because it, the 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 pace of the film never drops. Usually, that's the thing. Gone, like that's what I noticed in, on this viewing mid, uh, on a bike or in a car right. as it's moving. But the pace of this movie, I think, is really good at the beginning. The editing is what we're choosing to see when we see it. We get Usually we get the logo. we get the two terminators. We get the kid. We understand he's a foster child. Then we go to see Sarah Connor, and she's locked up, and now we know why. Mm-hmm. And we, yeah, we're I, laying I, out you know the breadcrumbs or laying out the sort of the the the, the patchwork of the mosaic. And early what, what's on. more successful about this screenplay in, in relation to the others, and maybe this is simply because you know Cameron is following his own work but the particularly the sarah connor storyline feels like a, a logical extrapolation of where we last left her absolutely like everything that's happened in between the two movies um kind of is plausible in terms of her development because right. she's a very different character from what we last saw but you buy all of it like it feels like a genuine it feels like a serial continuation of where she was absolutely I, I don't think we have that we ever get that luxury again um no and even you know that like obviously the big sequel inversion is that the the villain of the previous movie is now the hero of this movie and you know awkwardly but i think perfectly well they build in this idea that he's a robot that can grow humanity Mm -hmm. and that gives that gives both Schwarzenegger as an actor and the the character of the Terminator, if you want to think about it in that term, somewhere to go Mm -hmm. in terms of an arc. And it's a little clunky, but it's okay. Well, (laughs) contact with humans makes him more human. It's like, okay, fine. Right. And I value, I value, I value the, the, the attempt at it. I also, I also value, this is what's missing from the, this is, this is the, um, the director's cut um, edition that I was missing this time. Oh, okay. Is that he? He actually has like data from the next generation, an emotion chip in his head. Oh. There is a scene in the director's cut which I was waiting for the uh, the whole time. <laughs> that I, yeah, I have not Sarah, seen that. John and Sarah go into his head, pull out his CPU, flip a switch. And that makes him open to emotions because Skynet put in a uh, an emotion blocker in his head, hmm. a- exactly like date, uh, data in Next Generation. Okay, like, exactly. Yeah. Um, but what I find so... interesting within the characterization of the Terminator is there's this this conceit that he's becoming the father figure, but he never loses. We never lose the fact that he is a Terminator, that he is a robot. 
I understand why you cry, but it's mm-hmm. something I can't do. That kind of stuff. Mm. Yeah. So you still have a bit of that cold and impersonal. A little bit. Portion of his being not human. I think the balance of it is pretty good. Mm. Stop, not my favorite aspect of this movie. Oh, not my favorite, but... Well, it's not even that like that in- interesting way to go, I don't think. I actually think it's done better in other sequels. Weirdly. Like Dark Fate? Well, like, yeah, I think that I, I think they come in too strong with this. I, and again, it's all tied up with like, Arnie can't be the villain. How do we work around that? Mm-hmm. And and they give you so many. It's like so many ways for you not to see him as a villain. It just feels a little bit too much. Authentic, like okay, yeah, all right. Like almost. I mean, all that stuff about now I now know why you cry and what's wrong with your eyes and. It's like an after-school special in those scenes. <laughs> I don't think they handle that emotional content very well. And I think a lot of that is to do with it being an early 90s movies where they typically do not... Typically goes from from emotion to sentimentality very easily. Maybe, you know, maybe if the writing was slightly better, maybe if the kid actor is slightly better... Maybe if Arnie, Arnie had that experience that he's clearly showing in some of the later sequels as an actor, maybe it would. But for me, it just fe- it, it's just. It doesn't, doesn't fall that short for me. Okay. It feels uh, written. It feels it makes more sense. This idea of he risked everything to get his mom. His mom says, you can't do that. What's the matter with you? He starts welling up. He's asking him why. All of that jives for me. Hmm. So, well, I tell you what, let's let's leave it there for now and let's take our first break. What is break. this thing you call crying? That's, that's how it reads to me. <laughs> and then we'll come back and see if we can make each other cry some more. Why do people die? <laughs> All right, ladies and gentlemen, we'll be right back. Does the coronavirus have you feeling oogie? Have you been sitting on your couch for weeks? Nay, have you been sitting on there for months? Well, it's time for you to get back in shape. Check out 2 a T Fitness. You can find them on Instagram. You can find them on Facebook. 2 a T Fitness was started by Tina Bernard. She is ready and raring to go to help you get back into the shape you want to get into. They've got all kinds of classes. They've got outdoor in-person classes. They've got online classes if that's what you prefer. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to get back in shape. You're going to find a variety of exercises. You're going to have strength training, cardio, weightlifting, even fun five-minute burnouts that will push you to your limits. So get off the couch, get into shape. Go ahead and check out Tua T Fitness. Tina Bernard has got you for all your needs. I know her personally. She's fantastic. You're not going to meet a better person to help you become the new you. Check it out.
And we're back, ladies and gentlemen. Tom and I are here discussing Terminator 2, Judgment Day, the 1991 film directed by James Cameron. All right, Tom, we've talked about this in other movies. I want to know what you think about, and because we've been talking specifically about Terminator 3, <laughs> and you came up with the talk to the hand. So tell yeah. me about the joke hit rate in this movie, because I can compare this movie to Terminator mm. 3 directly between I promise mm. I will not kill anybody and talk to the hand. And the joke for me that works so much better is I promise I will not kill anybody. Uh, no, I, 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 I don't I don't generally like the humor in this movie that's associated with Arnie and John. I think it falls it falls flat for me. Really, I I think there are other there's it, there's other aspects of the movie where it works. Doctor Silver Silverman's hilarious. He's so funny. At one point, he turns to the like model he, citizen. Mean, it's, it's it's an in world camera reaction, but he basically looks into the lens of the film camera yeah. and adjusts his tie like Rodney Dangerfield. <laughs> um, <laughs> But yes, uh, I just... It, it, I like the moment where she's saying you all you do is create death and destruction. It's like, Mom, we need to be a little more constructive here. Uh, no, it, it, it doesn't... It, I, don't, I don't actively dislike it. I, I think they waste far too much time in the movie on it. Huh. Um, just their relationship feels like something that is from an early 90s family-friendly movie that... that that kind of I don't know I want my Terminator to be a bit bit more raw <laughs> a bit more he's the good guy now yeah but he's still an anti-hero you have to allow for that conceit though you do yeah you have to allow for that that conceit but again it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be kid plus robot and, you know, like, 80s sitcom level stuff. Can do can do better. Well, if you say so. The cops are here. How many? All of them, I think. <laughs> it's a quality joke. It's just, there are just it's moments where it just leans too much into this idea of a, of a kid's movie. Like, when we get through, like, one of the best action sequences in the movie in the Galleria, and we get on, you know, they get onto the freeway, and little John Connor goes, Time out! Time out! Stop the bike! I'm like, oh, take me back to the, the other movie. <laughs> I know I'm going to get a scene of this. Like, placeholder dialogue. So, do you not Slang. like... Edward Furlong in the movie? I don't know. I I, I don't think I do. Hmm. I don't think I have a compelling reason to like him. It's it's. I don't. It's just, I'm not I, in I, love with him, but I don't a dislike lot in this him. Movie, there's a lot in this movie that interests me, and this I I just feel like this is. This feels. It feels underdone. It feels like. Let's hit these notes with as with in as generic a way as we can. Mm. It's really interesting. Uh, someone are these your my, major my... problems with the movie? Because you've said um, 
I'd say the inability to handle emotion except in a way that's mawkish is an overall note for this movie. Mm. Uh, I gotta say, like, it's a, you know, it's low-hanging fruit, but product placement. Uh, I mean, holy shit. <laughs> the uh, When we first see our first Pepsi logo, which is about, I don't know, minute three yeah. or something, I, was, sure. I, I said out loud, that's not the last time we're going to see one of those. <laughs> and then there's Pepsi for like 10 minutes. And then he starts to get a little bit coy with it. You just see a glimpse of a Pepsi machine at the side. Like, I see you, Pepsi machine. I see you. <laughs> but, the, I mean, there's moments where it genuinely does compromise what, what, what you're, like, the quality of what you're seeing when they had that incredible Steadicam shot in Miles Dyson's laboratory. And at the end of it, you're like, wait a minute. Did they do all of this just so they would end on that Pepsi logo? Like you actually, I actually do think like sometimes it makes me question that. Like, why are kids? Why are the kids in this movie? Why don't they consume anything off-brand or logoless? Yeah. Why are they eating Subway in the asylum? Like, <laughs> so it does interfere with my viewing pleasure, but it is low-hanging fruit, and it's just again, it's just a reflection of of movies at the time, and the situation hasn't got any better. That's no, they are right. I mean, you know, we dealt with that in our first series with Marlboro and KFC and Superman 2. For some reason, that doesn't bother me as much as it does here. I think because because Cameron's sort of like, it's so, like, I don't know. It feels like, it feels like Cameron's incorporated it into his filmmaking, which bothers me more. Like his choice of shots, Mm -hmm. his choice of style, like, accentuates the product placement in a way that, I, I do find mercenary. <laughs> but anyway, um, there's a lot. I, there's a lot I love about this movie too. I think of this movie as, I mean, and maybe it has to do with having seen it in the theater, and once you re, like, once you hear another Terminator movie is coming out and being so excited and to not be let down at all, even a little bit, which is, I'm let down. I'm definitely let down. Well, I, 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 but you didn't see it when it originally came out. Like pining. Cause I'm not, I'm not one, as you know, as you know, I am not one of those people who, who holds the original in a series to a, um, yeah, usually you you don't even see it. (laughs) I don't I don't put them on a pedestal but here but in Terminator 2 there are moments when I'm like I wish you know I want some of my cyberpunk feel back Mm -hmm. I'm not like this this hair metal greaser thing vibe to the movie is not doing it for me in the same way that that the original Terminator cyberpunk feel did okay in terms of like atmosphere I'm like hillbillies in a bar really Bikers, do we have to? Do you have you issue know, with just... the sort of steel blue look of the whole thing? <laughs> I suppose I, I don't know. Well, I don't know. I, that, actually, that doesn't bother me at all. Okay. Um, I love, uh, you mentioned the foster parents. I think that's a great. That's Vasquez. That's Vasquez and, you know, Cameron legacy actor. Yeah. Clearly, you know, a deliberate uh, plant to make you. A kind of fake out to make you think that, um, you know, she might be a 
I know, I know, like a mother, and typically we've talked about this with Piranha too. Like mothers in camera movies are held to a higher standard, right? But she's a bad mother, but she becomes a good mother, but only when she's Robert, fake Robert Patrick, mm-hmm. <laughs> which I think is a great, um, you know, uh, a great fake out. Well, and you have one of the great all-time. Hey, I know that guy with Xander Berkeley. For, you know, yeah. I mean, we know, well, him, I know but, him as but most Mason people just know him as, hey, I know that guy. Well, to me, he will always be George Mason from 24. Yeah, exactly. But yes, he's a lot of, he's a lot of many. He, he is, he's, he's, hey, that guy. And, um, and I guess there's sort of, one of the things I do think they, even we, I know it's an R-rated movie, but it's definitely a more family-friendly movie, but they're still able because the original Terminator is part slasher. It's a sci-fi riff on the slasher movie, mm-hmm. and this is obviously less of a, of a of a slasher movie. But I still feel the horror in bursts in this movie. Yeah, the way that you know people are hunted down and knifed yeah. and impaled, um, especially towards the end of the movie when we look like we're in the boiler room from Nightmare on Elm Street. Right. Right. And he's got uh, Robert Patrick has finger blades, you know, like Cameron's still able to pull that horror card here and there in a way that's very, very satisfying. And I think the first big one is when the foster parents are killed and Sandra right. Berkeley gets the gets the uh, the liquid liquid blade arm through uh, through his through face. the milk carton. Yeah. So I I really I really appreciate that. Um. And you know all the like, all the all the kind of, it's as you say, like the, the 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 storytelling craft that comes with not knowing who is the hero and who is the villain. Um, is in you know because it all boils down to that Galleria sequence. It's like there's two advancing Terminators. Which one of them is bad and which one of them is good? And Cameron's going to tell you how how confusing it is through his slow motion and. And the face of Edward Furlong. Yeah, and then we have a great, a, like a probably my, the one of my favorite like moments that addresses the the changing in the Arnie Star persona is when there's a kind of like a moment where paparazzi start to take photos of him. Yeah, and the, but but like it's it's like obviously it's like a it's a nod and a wink, but it's a, actually becomes important in the storyline. I also because love the gets, moment where Robert that gets the photo that links him to the right to the previous to the footage from, from the eighty four police record. precinct. Yeah, yeah. So it's a sense in which you know it's a very solid screenplay. Like he's still okay. Like thank you. I, that, to, I was going to ask you cause... how to craft a screenplay. Yes. I just I think he's losing the ability to um, to gauge how to do emotion, and you know, a few years later, Titanic also fluffs that. So. <laughs> not for most um, people. Not for not for like human beings, but for you know, cold-hearted <laughs> robots like me. Yeah. As he said, I'm a cyborg. I do love that moment too when he throws uh, Arnie through the window, and there's that. I was just that mannequin. Say, not only is like is Arnie now the hero, he's now the vulnerable part of the lead dynamic, right? And I love that because you know, obviously, so much is invested in that idea of Arnie as this invincible muscle man. So let me ask you this though, because 
there's there's a, there's something that happens within this movie that takes all the other movies to an extreme in which in the original you have a man fighting a cyborg a man and a yes. woman fighting a cyborg together yes and you always feel you always feel the vulnerability of them just being human mhm so the thing the conceit in this movie is that now you have a cyborg versus a cyborg and so now you can do stuff like throw them into walls and uh have yeah. cement crumble and that sort of thing which in this movie I think works really well it's a logical up you know step up from your last movie into a sequel but I think it it's taken to such an extreme in the other sequels that it's it's almost a liability. I don't even know if if it's the. It, I think just it's a, it's a structural problem. Is why can't we move beyond this idea of the new and the old robot? Right. Like, what? Why are we basing each movie around the new and the old robot fighting each other? Yeah, Genesis. Like, Lots of talk of about that... obsolete, not obsolete. Yeah, it's like when we break. It's like we need to break out of that pattern. Mm-hmm. That that's and we never do. So it's interesting because, as you say, it actually works best here. So everything else is a diminishing return, right? Um, but if we found a way to move beyond that, well, they tried. They they try to might... step up in the other movies by making them move faster causing more destruction being able to leap further but all of that's in cgi and doesn't look very good well but i i don't even think it's a necessarily a, yes but obviously the you know effects are superior here because the philosophy of the effects is superior but right i i, I just think in the end it's like come up with another idea mm-hmm. you know we've done rob we've done good and good bad robot good old robot new bad robot enough times that we can do something else. Yeah. You know? <laughs> and of course, no, so within the confines of our story, they have this big fight in the mall and then you yeah. have the truck chase. And I got to tell you, oh, yeah. that truck chase still leaves me kind of breathless by the end of it. Yeah. It's such it's good filmmaking. It's what? It's a pure stunt spectacular. Yeah. And it's actually really well paced as well. Like mm-hmm. you think you've got the biggest explosion, and then there's an even bigger explosion. Right. <laughs> right. Like it's 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 really well. It's a really well thought through sequence. Um, like it's not just about spectacle. It's about the pacing and delivery of the spectacle and how that works filmically. Mm-hmm. Uh, because, and again, like what's fascinating here is. The showstopper, you you know, you think it's this, you think it's like this huge explosion. You're like, okay, that's as good as it's gonna get. Yeah. And then the T100 walks out of the flames. I mean, I can, it's it to me, it, it you know, it's a pure demonstration of like this is cutting edge CGI. Right. I watch it. I I can't imagine how that felt in 1991. I watch it now and I think that. Uh, oh. You know, I think that is not dated at all. No. Yeah. I I still can remember the feeling of that. The end of that sequence. I think it's because you don't you you don't see it coming. 
I think context is crucial here. Mm-hmm. But it's interesting because I remember like when uh, when I did a film technology course at, at college, we talked a lot about how in this period when they were taking chances with new technology that they didn't know was going to work, they would put it in parts of the movie where it didn't affect the plot. Yeah. So, you know, the the whole the water um the water monster in the abyss was like a scene that you know if you didn't see it it wouldn't change your opinion of the movie. Right. And it's kind of the same here, but it's hard to imagine like Terminator 2 without that liquid metal moment. But they obviously put it in a part of the movie where oh well, you've 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 got a perfectly good action sequence, so this is just the cherry on the cake. Did they ever for you fully explain if he's liquid metal, how 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 can he get in the time displacement machine? Don't you have to have living skin around you, or is it just that he's faking living skin and that's just enough? Yeah, I think it's re- it's really interesting. Um, uh, at some uh, like at some point, Arnie says, you know, he can't imitate complex objects. Right. And I like to think that that's a note from Industrial Light and Magic. it's sort of like you got to put that line in somewhere because there's a bunch of stuff we can't do right and i don't want people complaining that he doesn't turn into a rabbit or a whatever (laughs) like or a giant skyscraper but it's great i mean that you know that is the that's the to me this is like the sweet spot where you're you're pushing the limits of what technology can do but you're not going beyond that Mm-hmm. You know, this is not CGI Governor Tarkin. No, right? yeah, right. It's like we, it's like we can do this. We can't do beyond this. Let's 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 put a boundary around. Well, that's the, the thing. We're here. only going to do what we can do successful. Which is in, which is in itself is incredible, right? Um, and yet at the same time, you know, if there's a practical solution to something that works better, they go with it, like the pie plate bullet wounds. Which look fantastic. Right. And easily blend into digital. But that's just a fucking pie plate. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah, right. And then, you know, once we get into the asylum, I think the masterstroke of this movie and the sign that, you know, sometimes the practical solution, the obvious solution is better than the complicated computer generated one is the twins. The twin security guards. Oh, yeah. I I, I was going to mention the twins earlier. Yeah. Cast twins, and then you can do what the fuck you want and with them. And then you can do whatever the fuck you want. We know them. We've seen them in Good Morning Vietnam. <laughs> we know they exist. And that actually kind of lends me to, uh, you know, so we, we get past that set piece. And that's the other thing about this movie, that there are, like any kind of action movie, there are, of course, set pieces but they're well thought mm. out, they're well planned, they're structured within the narrative. Absolutely. And I can't say that about all the other sequels. No. Uh, but there's also a shift in kind of filmmaking tone, because once we get to the hospital yeah, and the T-1000 arrives, now we're in kind of suspense mode. Mm-hmm. The movie slows down a little bit. Yeah. And I th- I really noticed that on this viewing, and I found it very interesting and well crafted. Very well crafted. Because, like you said, I, I... we kind of go we lend towards the horror. 
Yeah. You know, the the part where the, the people are being stalked. Yeah. Um, absolutely. Well, speaking of horror, having recently done Halloween, the Halloween series, I, <laughs> I thought that it was an interesting inversion of, of Halloween 2. Sarah gets out of bed a third of the way into the film rather than getting into bed for the rest of the film. Right. As Laurie Strode does in Halloween 2. It's like, that's a good choice. <laughs> yeah, so much better. Because up until that point, I'm thinking, oh God, how long is Sarah going to be in this like hospital bed? Right. Because she's the action heroine here. But it doesn't make that mistake. And, you know, she arrives, at, she becomes active just at the point you need her to. Um, I think it's it's just, just fantastic and her you know her breakout and um now we're playing into things from the original she's gonna see yes. she's gonna see arnold schwarzenegger um we're gonna get come with me if you want to live we're gonna get yeah you know we already have the doctor there Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah, all absolutely. of those moments of him thinking that she's been lying this whole time. She has a delusion. The great moment where Robert Patrick walks through the, the prison bars. Yeah. And I think what, what really, what really works about this, because you're showcasing a lot of digital effects that could look very, uh, look very cartoonish, but it's surrounded with, and this is, I think, where the horror comes into it. It's surrounded with so much viscerality. Yeah. Like Sarah's cut. And just just a few kind of like... Just touches. Just... With, yeah, and we're like... We're, he we're, can we're go through the like, bars, but the but the gun can't. I was just going to say, well, it's like we're checking in with physical reality. Yeah. In a way that apparently CGI movies don't... Like CGI-based movies don't do anymore. Oh, and you and I just visited the Sounds and Cinema podcast, so... Uh, talking about the simplicity again. Yeah. Him moving through the bars. Yeah. That's just just uh, soup coming out of a can. Right, and a lot of the changes for the sound. A lot of the the change the state changes of the T one hundred are done purely off screen with sound. Right. Without any loss. And the person in charge of the sound, who won an Academy Award for his work, said, "Yeah, they spent hundreds of thousands of dollars on all these us." Uh, special effects i spent 39 cents getting a can of soup that's fantastic yeah um but and also you know like like subtle visual of like a privilege uh, privileging the subtle smaller visual effects like the when there's just like one remaining metal blob that reconnects with his foot right it's like it's not showy but I imagine that took a lot of work mm-hmm. to, to sort of do that. But and but the fact that it, it's just so offhand increases the the power of it, I think. It's like Right. We can, you know, we, we can apply this to more like well not every day, obviously a metal blob reconnecting with your foot is not is not every day, but more incidental moments. That we well, can there's make so the many things it doesn't ha- it doesn't have to be like you know, it doesn't have to be blade hands every time. Right. Yeah. And there's so Though much. There are a lot of those. <laughs> there are a lot, but there's, you know, into hooks so that he can get onto the back of the car. I love that they shoot off a piece and like, you you know, the, the, the piece of metal that joins the foot 
the the mm-hmm. tink 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 of it yeah uh still connected to the to the trunk of the car and him throwing it out all of that is fantastic there, there so the thing that, that I think this movie has going for it more than anything is it's a blend of everybody doing their best right and, and everyone everyone gets to have their showcase yeah like everyone on the effects and there's so many things you don't would... even consider Robert Patrick had to learn how to run at full speed just breathing through his nose so that he could look that, more I menacing mean, that is that's it i mean like that's you're going back to that's like something from a rocky training montage when you see him right take off at high speed you're like well that's not digital yeah he got and yet it looks got, as unreal as anything digital in the exactly. movie exactly he got so a good at human. it that he would constantly catch up to Edward Furlong on his motorbike. Of course he did. Little shit. Yeah. <laughs> just like, he should, I would love a scene where it's just like him smacking the back of a <laughs> Furlong's head. Get off. Um, yeah, it's, I, I, I loved, also love the fact that there was, uh, like one area where CGI you know, hadn't caught up with with the uh, the other digital effects in the movie was in back projection. It's like you still get that that terrible matching back projection, right? Blue screen thing, yeah. Effects, which you know holds a lot of nostalgia for me. But you're like, yeah, okay, right. So yeah, it's still 1991. <laughs> <laughs> well, like you can you can go as far as you want with this whole kind of liquid checkerboard thing. <laughs> right, yeah. Uh, I know what that early computer graphic obsession with checkerboards was. Maybe it would just look good. But always coming out of some kind of a checkerboard. So, for some reason, some way, somehow. I tell you what, why don't we take another break? For sure. And uh, then we'll come back. Absolutely. All right, right after this, everyone. I like to think I know something about beer, but nowadays even I get overwhelmed when confronted by the exhaustive selection of craft beers they have at bars, breweries, and even grocery stores. Back in the day you had one, maybe two craft beers to choose from, and if you were confused, you ordered a Guinness. But in beer stations like San Diego, the craft beer options lately are in double, sometimes even triple, digits. So what's a beer drinker to do? You need what I need, the Vegas Beer Guys. Your beer of choice should be a perfect blend of malt and hops. And so a live show about beer needs that same balance. And the Vegas Beer Guys matches beer expert Dan Aker with self-proclaimed beer novice Stephen J. Weiss. The results are eminently drinkable. They're on Facebook, they're on Instagram. They'll try new beers, they'll tell you about beers. Think of them as your beer sherpas guiding you up a foamy-headed mountain to reach the peak of your pint. God, I need a beer. We're back. Once again, ladies and gentlemen, we're finishing up with Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Let me ask you this, because mm-hmm. you've given a little 
lip service to how annoying you might find Edward Furlong. But once we escape from that hospital for Pescadero and we get into the desert, and then especially after the desert when we go visit Dyson, yeah, there are plenty of stories uh, about Edward Furlong. Like his his voice literally drops during the movie, the filming oh, of this really? movie. And he had oh, to go. Guy. He had to go back and redub some stuff. And there's a there's a point in this movie about halfway through where I can see he's far more comfortable on screen and he's a better actor. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, that makes sense. Just uh, annoying for you the whole time, then. No, no, no. I, okay. I, I I'm not particularly annoyed. Again, I think again I I'm gonna blame the period. And I'm going to blame Cameron not putting as much thought and emphasis on how to handle emotion as he does, you know, uh, the elements of the plot. I think that's the big problem here. He does. I think you could have written him I, 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 I'm not sure I completely agree. I think he does I know you don't, just yeah. enough. I, I really, because I think Linda Hamilton is amazing. She's excellent. She, oh, she is fantastic. And in, I think it's a... Uh, I'd have to see what same... else was nominated that year, but I think this is an Academy-worthy... Yeah, that it's an action movie. And at that point, the Academy wasn't going to... Yeah, but we got one for Sigourney Weaver. That was even that was even in... That Schwarzenegger was even in. You know? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Just him being in the movie, never mind being nominated, right. is a stretch. Um. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it does a really good job of selling that she's the same character, but she's changed. Right. Which is what you want from a sequel, the the, the, the sequel version of a character, of a legacy character. And after the hospital, we have the, mo- I mean, we have the gas station. I do like that joke, holding up the coat, bullet holes. Another good joke, Tom. Well, it's it's like, it's interesting, like, it also made me wonder, like, why people place so much emphasis on like how much comedy there is in Terminator 3 because there's like a bunch of slapstick and running gags based around it starts here mm-hmm. it starts with bad to the bone playing then there's like naked gun style cars crashing into him every time he uh you know when he, whenever he's on the road like two cars crash behind him like it's fucking Frank Grabbin I, I don't um, think the tone of it is is what you're talking know, about. That, it's but, not but naked I, that, gun. To me, it's preferable that you go you follow through with that rather than it just being like huh, like a background gag. Like huh, like I'd rather I'd rather I'd rather laugh at it because I know it's done with purpose. Than hey, you know what would be really funny? You know how Arnie does comedies now. <laughs> I think that's what it is. <laughs> It's a lot. It'll be a lot easier to like him if we see him do something funny. And I don't think t- by that by T three, I don't think anyone ca- like cares about that sort of thing anymore because he's so established. But I think I think this movie is still uncomfortable with the idea of of like Arnie as a as a family friendly leading man, and it works way too hard to try. I don't and know that it's the movie. I think it's the, the character. So you might be right in the sense of. Maybe James Cameron isn't leaning into the full funny, like, but for me, the the leaning into an attempt 
Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe there is an attempt because I keep saying that I don't think they're trying to be as funny as you think they are. But clearly, tone-wise, they are attempting that in the third movie in ways that, for me, just don't work at all. It works better for me here because he's a Terminator. So he doesn't care what accident's happening behind him. But then there's there's this... Well, yeah. I think I think he. I I think Arnie as well. His his sense of comic deadpan grows. Throughout his career, and I don't think he's still quite maybe there yeah. Yet. I think he's uncomfortably caught between two. Two acting styles, um. And you know he has some nice badass moments in here when he's shooting the locks off. Uh, you know that kind of thing, and um, yeah, I think it's more about t- more about tone than anything else. It's like what mm. they choose. Like, I like the uh, the idea and the direction of you know he's growing in humanity, but it just it's too full on too quickly, it's sandwiched in to scenes that feel like after school specials to me. None of those scenes feel like after school specials okay. to me. They 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 really don't. And they go they I think they they hit this idea of emotional curiosity and it turns into mawkishness very quickly. You like think it so? Could simply be I, It I never it feels that over sentimental to me. It really doesn't. Okay. Fair enough. And you know, one of the things I'll 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 lead to within that Again, because I think it's a great performance moment, because nothing about Linda Hamilton, where Sarah Connor, where she is now, leads me to believe that she wouldn't shoot Dyson. And yet she doesn't. She makes the choice to stop before mm. Arnold and her son can even get there. And I really love that moment because they're trying to stop her from becoming essentially a Terminator, a person without conscious, without thought. And she stops herself. And it breaks her. It breaks her down completely. And so I I love that. Like, that moment really stuck out to me. It stuck out to me, too, for different reasons. Because the image of a white woman in a cap holding a black family at gunpoint is not an image that's dated well. Even though it was incredibly progressive at the time to see this affluent middle class, right, African American family, and the you know it's 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 the the white woman who's the trash in the room, but um, uh, yeah, no, I I, I agree I agree with you. Uh, so it's, it's a movie about, and this is one of the first everyone. times I can remember seeing Joe Morton, and now we have the great Joe Morton. So, yeah, it's it's. Like yeah, it's clear, it's consistent with the themes of the movie. It's a movie about everyone realizing they can't kill or they'll become the machine, right? And even the machine learns that lesson, right? Yeah. Um, and do you know anything about the me- mechanical hand in the sequence? Is it purely practical? I think so. It, it's astounding. Yeah. There is no digital effect in this movie that looks better. Right. Than that. Yeah. No. Completely. Uh, and just just incredible. And, and then we get some more we get some more voiceover. So I was going to ask you about that. 
What do you think well, of that? It's very unevenly distributed in the movie. It's unevenly distributed. Is it bad, though? It's not making the movie go any faster. <laughs> Which I think voiceover should intrinsically do. Yeah, but this is more. It's it. I I think it's this is not pushing plot forward. This is Black uh, Highway at night. There's there's like too much like leaning into the hard boiled noirness of it a little too much. Um. So you think it doesn't fit tonally? I think it. Because I think it's because I have the same note. It's better that it happens a few times than once at the beginning or the end, which would be a failure. But. It doesn't appear enough times for it to be stylistically justified. And I don't think it does as much for the movie as they think it does. But, again, this is what future movies in this series ran with, right? It's this idea of voiceover. Right. And certainly it's more, like... You would think there was more voiceover in this movie based on the following movies. Like... They've latched on to this idea that, that these are movies with lots of voiceover and right. it's really not. It's very patchy here. Yeah. Um But for me it works it works the best in this one compared to any of the others. Yeah. Um and we also get the fir- like he like this is the first time where they sort of try and define uh they try and relate the machine threat to gender. Yes. It's like the first time that Linda Hamilton says, men like you. Right. And it's interesting that Dark Fate kind of picks up on that. Again, that trail of breadcrumbs that, that Cameron doesn't do anything necessarily with. It's kind of something where it's like, oh yeah, clearly he was married to Catherine Bigelow and she says, you should probably put in a line about how right. she's a woman, he's a man. But And Cameron's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And, <laughs> and didn't, <laughs> like that was it. <laughs> But um, but it's it it does leave a trail of breadcrumbs for, uh, you know, is is there a diff- is there a, is there a gender component to this idea of like, scientific genius being more important than morality, you know? Yeah, but what's interesting to me is, I mean, Joe Morton even has the line of how could I know, I mean, how could I possibly yeah. have known? I don't think that's in- inherently male. No. What he's doing. No, I'm just saying. I'm just saying it. it opens Even though up the movie's making a thing out of it, and it's done quite clumsily, and rea- and we never hear about it again. Right. Um. Yeah, it's. I mean, also, I want to. I would also give credit to the screenplay for running, basically making a plot hole from the first movie a virtue here. Because they're basically, they're running with the plot hole of, well, what if some, you know, the remains of the Terminator were found in the factory? Mm-hmm. That would change the timeline. And so they've they've turned that into paradoxical storytelling. Right. Where they've made it the basis of this movie is that someone found that and that's how someone well, found that's, the Terminator that, that... hand. And, based off, and, and it's, so it's like a paradox. Right. And that's the benefit that. of having yeah. this one that's sequel. That's a plot hole from the first movie. Sure. That's like that's like no one. That's like something that no one thought about, and yet they've made it the basis of the movie, and that's what that's good sequel writing, right? I think that's the benefit um, of having just a single sequel before we get into all the others trying to 
I mean, the paradoxical yeah. shit, it, it, you know, we're round pegs into square holes. Nah, that doesn't make sense. But you know what I mean. Square pegs into a round hole. Yeah. Uh, it's it's really interesting to me that one of the most satisfying character moments in the movie is completely incidental. Gibbons and Carl in the lab. Yeah. It's like, I know their relationship. They maybe have one, like, I know I know exactly how Gibbons feels about Carl. <laughs> I know that he's happy that he ended up gagged in a restroom. <laughs> That's great. It's like so, like you know. Sometimes it's like Cameron fluffs the 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 bigger, more existential stuff, but on a basic level of who are these characters? What is their relationship? Mm -hmm. The screenplay delivers. Yeah, even in like really. And this is the portion of the movie with the the Dyson family. Like you understand their relationship to each other without much screen time spent on. Right. That's acting two. And I think that scene in the lab is just, you talk about like, you know, economy of storytelling and just the clarity there of like. Oh, all of it's so good. Like blowing up the door. Oh, we need breathing masks. We've already got them. <laughs> you know, it's like, they, yeah. they. it's almost like they anticipate where it, the narrative could get clunky. And even then, like. Even, yeah. Even the clunkiness of trying to squeeze in, I'll be back. It's a perfect moment for it. Yeah. Cameron goes ahead as a filmmaker and he makes it more important for the audience than it is for yeah. the characters by the push in on his face. Exactly. But then Which he they immediately try and do cuts again in Genesis. Right. Then he immediately it's... cuts to Linda Hamilton who just is shaking, you know, nodding her head yes while she's trying not to inhale the smoke. Yeah. And so exactly. all of that's put together well. The idea of, you know, it's kind of nonsense. The Terminator has now learned a lesson about not taking human life. They're not even firing upon him as he, you know, is yeah, wielding this cannon. Zero, zero is, is, yeah. is not, it's, you know, again, it's like a shift in the morality of the franchise. We want to have bloodless violence. Right. It's that weird, that weird period where suddenly Hollywood got strange about, got very self-sensorial, like putting walkie-talkies in, digitally putting walkie-talkies in uh, where there was guns and that sort of, right. you know, walking back, you know, um, hand shot first that kind of stuff it's like, <laughs> right yeah exactly we it's like it's like you can have you can have him grow as a character into an anti-hero and even a hero you don't need to keep pointing out that he's choosing not to kill people correct like, some of them could have died there could have been collateral damage and it wouldn't and they would have been we feel they would have been well, based well, on the caliber of I weapon mean, he's shooting at them yeah this movie your movie's se- se- severely underestimating how many people how much collateral damage there is <laughs> right <laughs> but still you have the i mean the amazing work of stan winston and you have the yeah you know you have the edge of there are moments within him being shot in the face where you, you it's a practical effect and you think okay this doesn't look quite as great as as we would hope and then all of a sudden he like Schwarzenegger takes out his gun and starts shooting yeah. legs, and you think, "Oh my god, that looks amazing!" 
it's, and you're just dumbfounded it's really, it's like, oh, by it. It's almost like a hip hop battle. Like, just Stan Winston comes out, <laughs> and we see this incredible showcase of the plastic face. Yeah, which looks even better than you remembered it. Right. In the, from the first movie, and then we have an action sequence where a bike jumps into a helicopter. This is my moment is like of a, the single best it, effect I think I've ever seen yeah. in a movie. When his liquid form comes into the hospital and you can see the reflection of the pilot. Yeah, I have that exact note. The detail of the CGI is magnificent for such an early iteration. It's unbelievable. We're able to see the reflection of the pilot in the metal. And that's because, and I guarantee you that is because they are thinking about it. It's like when Orson Welles did Magnificent Ambersons and, you know, he... Fil- he filmed a whole off-screen scene just so the reflection in the window would, would be real. Right. To see it for a reflection, he had a whole scene filmed that you'd never see on screen, that you only see in a reflection. But he staged it anyway because it matters. Right. Because it's good filmmaking. Yeah. That's it. But I thought that bike jumping into that helicopter is like a celebration of all that is James Cameron. Yes. You're right. From Piranha 2 to the yeah, Abyss. Exactly. You know what I mean? It's like, <laughs> if there's one shot that is more Cameron than any other, it is that one. Yeah. And I, I spent, you know, it, it was sad, actually, because, you know, the the remain, the the helicopter chasing the truck, I thought, this is so expertly handled practical effects. Right. And the future is that all of this will be done digitally. And it's criminal how it looks. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Because... That helicopter chasing down the truck and the helicopter crash and the trucks chasing each other. I mean, all of it is done with such an expertise as a moviegoer in in a movie theater waiting with bated breath for this movie. You're... You want to stand up and cheer, and that doesn't happen yeah. a lot in in a movie no. theater, you know. I also like that they allowed themselves a little bit of Wiley e. Coyote here. <laughs> you know what I mean? There's an Acme-like quality to that liquid nitrogen truck. Absolutely. <laughs> but they allow themselves that, you know. It's like how we've had we've we've had a bunch of action sequences now. We got to do something a little different. So let's let's uh, let's do a bit of Roadrunner. Right, and why are all the blue-collar workers in a James Cameron movie seem to be working at midnight? That's true, <laughs> and why? And why are they all? Why you know, like, uh, why are they always in pairs as well? Right, there's a lot of doubling from the twins onwards. There's a lot of doubling in this movie. <laughs> Maybe that's because it's a sequel. Maybe that's that's again. I I suspect that's probably because it's a good screenplay. It's you know mm-hmm. it's a solid foundation to screenplay. So there's a lot of doubling throughout. So there's two drivers, like the drivers who check in on the hero and the driver who checks on on the villain. Right. Um. And then the 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 chase through the factory, we're in full on slasher territory here. Yeah. Uh, which is such a great call, and a little bit of Superman three with the good and the bad Terminator. Right. <laughs> trying to crush each other in a compactor. Um. Yeah, it's but that fight's really great. I mean, yeah, between but Arnie. Get, but, but again, speaking to the sequel inversion, Arnie gets out of the compactor this time. 
You know, it's, mm-hmm. it's like a reenactment of the original ending, except he right. gets out because he's now he's now the. That's when he truly becomes the. He goes from anti. But this to movie hero. in this moment has what the first movie is, which is what the like. What are these characters going to do to get out of this? Yeah, Arnold's incapacitated. In like kind we, of the same place. Yeah, we. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> we think we think Arnie's dead. Uh, how are these two yeah. humans going, you know, and then you have this great moment with the shotgun where she has to cock it eight times with one arm. Mm-hmm. And that's the big, yeah. uh, you know, the big sort of stage moment for her character. And it's just great storytelling in the sense of one more shot would have pushed him over the edge, but click. Yeah. And mm-hmm. the effects of the, the, the bullet that goes through his face and his eye closing back up. Yeah. And Robert Patrick's wave of his finger. The uh, uh, like, you know, <laughs> all of this comes together into one fantastic moment. Yeah. But also, again, that, that sort of subtext that, that only struck me here, but it's, you can apply to the entire movie of, you know, this elegiac passing of the age of practical effects yeah like when you when you see arnie's broken face the whirring mechanics of his hand it's like there's a consciousness in these movies that that something something digital is coming to destroy this world of, <laughs> of like clockwork machines essentially right that the, the, the society's based on and yet arnie also saves the day so it's like it's also saying that there's a value you know, there's value within the, digi- the the digital stuff is like it's um it's ephemeral pretty you know it's yeah, not right, substantial right. um and uh i thought there was a kind of a xenomorph like quality to the t100 as he fell into the lava i don't know if that was a homage to aliens but yeah i'm not uh, yeah i know what you mean and then it gets very star trek for the voyage home for a second <laughs> when the, the face-changing meltdown when he turns it. And I, I I still to this day don't know why he would turn into all the forms he'd been. No, yeah. When he when he melts. Uh, but clearly they road-tested that effect when they do the time travel face-melting in Star Trek Fourth Watch show. Because <laughs> it's industrial light magic. And it's like, okay, so we tried it out here and now it And now, now it we'll works. do it here. We put it in a real movie <laughs> that isn't a Star Trek movie. <laughs> But That's I funny. Get, the ending that I know, I now know why you cry. It's just pure cheese. It's you know, uh, the robot, the puppet wants humanity. Uh, the thumbs up spoils it a little bit for me. Nah, I mean not enough to bother me. Yeah, I, I there should be pathos. Um, him melting himself to me is enough pathos. I I, I agree with that. Yeah. I doesn't need that extra cheese on top of it. I won't, it could just be the hamburger. We don't need the cheese. Um, <laughs> Who doesn't like cheese on their hamburger, Tom? I'd, it's a not terrible that kind comparison. Of cheese. It is. <laughs> um, and then, the, you know, the voiceover ending, uh, which sort of tries to... I, I think that, like, social commentary and stuff like that's done very badly in this movie. Mm-hmm. And that final voiceover is is the worst culprit of it. 
Like it tries to lay out the morality of the movie boldly. It's like when yes, you see those kids yeah. fighting each other with with gun with like fake guns, and you're like, "We get it. Okay, humans are gonna destroy themselves. I don't need to see this." Um, <laughs> so yeah. <laughs> uh, but overall, this is but, a but a a a, a, a remarkable. But, I mean, this is a a remarkable piece of work. With, wrong. Yeah, a remarkable piece of work with, I think, some some flaws. Uh, that's all I'm saying. Um, just but because even it's your, it seems, you know, it seems more personal to you. I just don't happen to like this, as opposed to nobody can argue against this. No, I've heard this. So, I've heard the. I I think I think there I think there's enough people who think that. It's needlessly mawkish and sentimental. Where the original was more hardboiled. I get what you're saying, but it's like the sentimentality of it. Um, that that mawkishness is not. It's 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 not overbearing for me. Yeah. No, I mean it's certainly compensated for more than compensated yeah. for in the in the big scheme of the of the movie. Because so I, much I, of I the mean, movie it, is is action-packed, is just flat-out fucking cool, is fun. Um, so, yeah, that, you know. I think it's just over... I think it's just overrated. I don't like this idea that it's better than, than the original Terminator. Um, I'll go with you on that. I think, I think it's flabby in a way that the original isn't. Um, it just looks better. Depends what you've. I get again. It depends. But what I, you've I, you know, but effects. I have a real love for stop motion and that kind of thing. So seeing yeah. that Terminator walk it in stop motion towards the door in the first one, I fucking love that. I can't. I can't argue that it's a more comprehensive visual style. I don't know if I prefer prefer right, the style. Right. Um, well, uh, what uh, about? Uh, do you have a, a credit check for us? Not really. I, I was just struck by the number of police consultants on the film. <laughs> it's like definitely got more of an establishment feel to it. This movie. Interesting. This movie. I mean, again, I maybe maybe part of the reason why I want I I like I just want to pull back a little bit from full on praise is because this feels this feels like a this movie that's really like in Hollywood. Mm -hmm. Like it's 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 part of the system. It's ingrained in the system. I don't know all Hollywood movies are, and they're all disguising that when that you know they're all disguising that they're not when they are. See, but to but... me, this is an example of working really well within the system, exploiting it for good, but also you know for also not so good. <laughs> not but for me. Good. Mainly good. This is a movie that did not disappoint when I first saw it. And that's how I forever see it, I think, because of that. Apparently so. Yeah. Yeah. It's I just one like one really, really final thing. Um when I was at college, uh my friend Pete Faulkner told me a uh passed on something that had been said to him about Terminator Two Judgment Day. Which is with the, the the plot of the movie is identical in every single way to the nineteen eighties animated short The Snowman. 
right down <laughs> to the right down to the the um the main child character in the movie watching his non-human paternal playmate melting <laughs> at the end of the movie do you mean frosty no not frosty it's a it's a it's a british uh um, animated short. Oh, I'm gonna have to look it Raymond up now. Briggs book called the Sno- called the Snowman, and if you watch, you know, like the synopsis is exactly the same, except when one he's a snowman and in one he's a robot. All right. Um, which just again goes, but and they're both Pinocchio. Right. So it's like <laughs> it's just basic fairy tale stuff going on with Arnie there. And the thing, the problem with Pinocchio, I was just listening to. Uh... Whoa, 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 whoa. There ain't no problem with Pinocchio. Best Disney movie of all time. Carry on. <laughs> well, but uh, Guillermo, Guillermo del Toro, Ugh. he was talking on Mark Maron's podcast about Pinocchio. And he said, my, my big problem with Pinocchio is always, why does Pino- Pinocchio have to turn into a human? Why can't he be loved for who he is? That's interesting in terms of this series. And that was an interesting thought to me. What's that? That's interesting in terms of this series yeah. because I think they eventually they eventually figure that out, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. I think I think uh Grace in Dark Fate is is right. The embodiment of that feeling of of uh just because I'm, you know, a cyborg doesn't mean I'm not Doesn't human. mean I'm not human. So why do I need why do I need uh, humanity? But this movie is just straight up human is you know like more human is better. Mm-hmm. You know, it's it's quite it's it's sort of it's quaint in its old fashioned approach to certain med- metaphysical issues that come straight from the writings of Hans Christian Andersen. Yeah, I won't disagree with that. And, you know, old, old-fashioned old fables. You get the sense Cameron hasn't thought too hard about it. Go yeah. back and read uh, the Little Mermaid tale. It'll chill you to the bone. Well, yeah, that's true as well. <laughs> All this right. lighter fare than that. Well, ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> if you have uh, differing thoughts, if you have something to add on the subject of Terminator 2 Judgment Day, you're going to have to let us know. So find us on Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter. Send us an email to everythingsequel at gmail.com. That's it for Terminator 2. We'll be talking about the movie Tom Loves, Terminator 3, Rise of the Machines, coming up next. Say goodbye to the good people, Tom. Chill out, dickwad. (laughs) I might be saying that again in our next episode. (laughs) Apropos of nothing. Not even as a quotable. Perfect. All right, until next time, everyone.